hello and um, a very warm welcome from me. My name is Amy, uh, married to Johnny. Um, I, uh, I was speaking to my uh, children this morning and I was saying to them that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be preaching this morning and feeling a bit nervous. And <laughs> one of our daughters said, well, mum, if dad can do it, surely you can do it. So I come this morning with the backing of my daughter that yes, if Johnny can do it, I can do it. Um, but we have uh, been, as you know, in a series um, over the last several weeks. So we've been talking about uh, what a Tove church is. And this word Tove uh, meaning good. And, um, and we have um, looked into different things. We firstly began by looking at what it looks like to be a Tove church, to be a Jesus-centered church. Uh, what a Tove church looks like to be a church that serves, um, a church that is generous. And last week, George uh, beautifully shared with us what a Tove church looks like, looking at the particular area of embracing grace and truth. And uh, yes, and if you missed any of those at all, um, then you can catch up on them. Uh, go on to um, the website and you can have a look at the podcast or you can watch it again on YouTube. Highly, highly recommend um, going to listen or watch some of those. Now this is the last. Uh, this is the last in the series um, of Tove uh, before we head into Lent. And during Lent, we're going to be talking about um, what it means to have hope, um, basically. And uh, and as you have just read, or Johnny has just read to us, that uh, today we're diving in to the transfiguration of Jesus. And, uh, and really, we're wanting to draw on this um, and see what it means for us and what it means on how we are embracing and trying to become this Tove church. Now, the transfiguration is an extremely uh, powerful, um, it is an ex sort of hugely significant passage. And, um, and just even before I begin, there is so much, there is so much that there is to draw out of it. There's so much to learn from it. And it just simply isn't the time um, to go into everything that is possible to go into um, in this passage. And, uh, and I was even just um, saying to Johnny this week that as I was reading this passage again, you know, I was personally, you know, really shaken. You know, this is an incredibly powerful moment. And so I'm just going to dive straight in. So if you do have a Bible, it'd be really great um, for you to get it out either in here or at home. Go and grab your Bible. Um, but we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, this is before the transfiguration. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come in power. And so, you know, perhaps the disciples, they might be anticipating something, perhaps. Because the very next verse, the very next thing we read, it says six days later, Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John up the mountain. 
Now, mountains, uh, as you know, are significant places in the scriptures. They are the places that God reveals his presence. They're the place that God reveals his presence. In Exodus, with Moses, um, you know, on Mount Sinai, Moses encounters the presence of God, where, he's received, where he receives the law. And we read in Exodus 34.30 that when he comes down from the mountain back to the Israelites after receiving the law, it says his face was radiant and they were afraid. His face was radiant and they were afraid. And Elijah, we read, uh, when he overcomes the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, God's glory is revealed there in great power. Um, We read, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, Lord, he is God. Lord, he is God. This is powerful stuff. And sometimes we just sort of skip through it, don't we? This is powerful. I mean, it should make us shudder. It should make us shudder, the power and the glory. I've just sort of been imagining myself there this week. You know, it's really rocked me in my core. You know, this is an image of transcendent power, of glory, of glory. His total authority and his otherness. And we see the same in this passage. That Jesus in front of his disciples, being transfigured, meaning basically to change appearance or form. Some sort of spiritual change is happening here. We read in verse 3, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any bleach. This is a remarkable scene, a remarkable scene of power and light and of great authority. We read on in verse 9. So here he is, Jesus transfigured, shining brightly, you know, changing appearance, glory, all of it. And then suddenly, in all of this glory, in all of this light, he's talking to Moses and Elijah. These guys, are, these guys are dead, you know. The disciples are up there, and they're seeing all of this, and then Jesus is talking to two dead men. You know, again, it's just totally and utterly mind-boggling. I just, yeah, just, it, it's just trying to live in that scene, trying to picture that scene. And it's if, and it's if God is trying to tell us something about who he is. God is trying to tell us about something, about who he is. Perhaps what, Moses, but what, perhaps what happened for Moses and Elijah on the mountain is happening now with Jesus. God's glory and presence are being uncovered in this moment. They're being uncovered in this moment. However, in a different way. And this is totally key. It's happening in a different way. We read in Exodus that when Moses comes down from the mountain, his face shone, as we just read, his face shone. It reflected God's glory. But we read that it actually becomes dim over time until he's next in the presence of God. 
that it becomes dim, that it, that it disappears, that it doesn't last until he's back in the presence of God. However, we read in this passage that Jesus, you know, he wasn't reflecting God's glory, but it was coming from within him. It was coming from within him. He was and is the source of glory. Jesus is the glory, the exact representation of God. What we learn here is that Jesus is now the ultimate way to see God. That Jesus is the ultimate way to see God. In Jesus is the glory of God. Okay, we're going to read on verse 5. So in this scene, we're picturing this crazy scene. Um, Peter, he, he blurts out, doesn't he? Rabbi, it is good. It is good for us to be here. Let us put three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Um, and it even says, as we read, the, read on, that in brackets, it says... He did not know what to say because he was so frightened. Um, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for Peter. When we read about the presence of God in the scriptures, it is, um, it's historically deadly. It's lethal. People die in the presence of God. When Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 18, the people said to Moses, do not let God speak to us because we will surely die. You know, it evoked fear. And this is the exact response that we, that we see with the disciples, that they were afraid. Peter was completely overwhelmed. You know, some commentaries think, uh, some commentators uh, think in this moment that, um, that Peter just simply wanted to extend this moment, wanted to extend this moment um, of glory. And I think I would. Wouldn't you want to extend this moment where you're in the glory of God? But perhaps he's also trying to honor God's manifest presence. He's trying to honor the presence of God. He knows that in the Old Testament that he would have studied and memorized that the place of God's present, that the place of God's presence was housed in a tent. However, we see quickly that what is happening is something completely different here. It's something completely different. God's glory cannot be boxed. God's glory cannot be contained. In Christ, God is doing something new. He is doing something completely new. In fact, Peter is quickly interrupted, isn't he? Verse 7, by a cloud, again, clouds, the cloud of glory that we read in Exodus, and a voice came down from the cloud and says, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. This then is affirming Jesus' authority and that God's glory is now manifest in Jesus, that God's glory is manifest in Jesus. And it comes with a very, very clear instruction, a very clear instruction. We are to listen to Jesus, follow him, and stay in his presence. Listen to him, follow him, and stay in his presence. Hang on. I was thinking that. Ah, so what does this all mean? What does this mean? You know, what does this mean for us as we pursue um, a Tove church? 
I want to strongly suggest that a Tove church pursues the presence of God. <laughs> that a Tove church pursues the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, we're reminded who we are. In the presence of God, we are reminded who we are. And even just as Joe began to sing, that we are children of God. That we are children in his presence. We are reminded that we are children. I encountered uh, the presence of God when I was in my 20s. Um, and I wasn't sort of following Jesus before then. And I had a moment where I met with Jesus. I, I met with um, his remarkable presence. And, um, and as I sort of reflect on a bit of my story, one of the most healing, most um, the, the ways in which he has brought me into greater wholeness and freedom is this is this truth, is the truth that I am his daughter, that I am his child, that I am loved no matter what, that I am accepted, that he will never leave me, that I am with him always. And it's in the presence of God that, that, has been, that, that I have been reminded of that. Every time I seek him, every time I seek his truth, every time I come into his presence, daughter, daughter, daughter. Even before coming up here, felt God say to me, my faithful servant, go do it. My faithful servant. And it's in his presence that we are reminded of those times. And I just really felt like some, some of you, um, just some of you today might need to be reminded of that truth. Perhaps some are frightened to enter his presence because we are so aware of our humanness. We're so aware of our sin. We're so aware of our inadequacies. And we don't step into his presence. We don't allow him to come into our lives. But you know, it's in his presence that we receive a new vision for ourselves, that he gives us his vision for us, that we are children of God. And so if that really struck, sort of, um, you know, sort of strikes a chord in you, just receive, even as we pray later, that you are a daughter, that you are son of God. And let it go deep. Let it go deep. But what I really wanted to focus on this morning, what I really wanted to focus on this morning, is that in his presence, as we as a church pursue his presence, we gain a true vision of who Jesus is. We gain a true vision of who Jesus is. You know, our vision of God can become so small. It can become so small and so contained. You know, we want to house God as well. You know, we want to keep him into our little safe containers. You know, it also can become so distorted. Our vision of God can become so distorted. And like I said, reading this passage again this week, it's made me aware once more of his majesty and the craziness of it and his power and his authority and his awesomeness in all the right ways that we use that word. And we've got to take hold of this vision of God. Otherwise, we start to live without hope. We've got to take hold of this vision of God. You know, perhaps you're thinking like me, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could all just live on the mountain with Jesus, surrounded by his manifest glory? You know, oh, I would love that. And one day we will. And like I said, although we believe and we hope for those moments where we do see God's manifest glory, we pray for it. We pray that we would see more of God's glory. The reality is, for most of us, that we live in the mundane. We live in the everyday. 
We live down the mountain. And given this story, what we learn <clears throat> is that it doesn't mean down the mountain that we can't live and seek his presence in everything that we do. After Jesus was transfigured, we read that he, he led the disciples back down the mountain. And what did we find when he, when he led him back down the mountain? What did we find? We found, he found, they found that the teachers were bickering. They were bickering, the teachers of the law. And the disciples, they were unable to, um, to heal a demon-possessed man. You know, so they've gone from, the disciples have gone from this crazy moment to the realities of life that Jesus has led them into. You know, living in God's presence isn't about extending the mountaintop experience indefinitely. It's not possible and it's not what God wants. Because down the mountain is where Jesus leads us. He leads us to a broken and hurting and fragile and frightened and isolated and fractured world that so desperately needs the presence of God that so desperately needs the presence of God. <sighs> On the other hand, though, if we spend all our time down the mountain without a vision of Jesus in his glory, we will become so utterly exhausted, so disappointed, apathetic, without hope, without joy, without purpose, without peace, without authority, we need a vision of Jesus that is bigger than our circumstances. A more dazzling, brighter, authoritative, more powerful, more kind, more merciful, more gracious, more wise. You know, the list goes on. And in the presence of God, we're reminded of this vision of who Jesus is. And we then hold on to this truth and we take it into everything that we do. We take it into everything that we do. The disciples are about to experience such valleys, such valleys that they don't even know about yet. But they have this vision of who Jesus is. They have a true vision of who Jesus is. It's, it's even these three disciples that are with Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion, where he's in anguish. But they have a vision of who Jesus is. It is the presence of Jesus in the valleys that make the difference. We have to learn not only to get our minds in the mountain, but to be reminded of who he is to bring the mountain into the valley. The mountain into the mundane. We're not all going to have, you know, these crazy spiritual experiences. I mean, we long for and we pray for that we hear some people have about, you know, have these experiences, these crazy experiences. But we have the scriptures, don't we? We have the scriptures that remind us and tell us of who Jesus is. And it's the presence of God that illuminates that. He wants to give us a revelation of himself today. So how then? Really practically, how then do we live in the presence of Jesus? How do we live in his presence? Well, you know, it involves um, 
Meetings like this, it involves um, times like this when we're gathered. And you know, here at Trinity, we have always sought to um, have moments where we can dwell, where we can wait, where we can um, expect his presence to to come and meet with us. You know, even before we even started the church here, um, this room was completely derelict, completely empty, um, full of dead birds, to be precise. And, um, And we started meeting in this place, and all we did was worship and wait. All we did was wait for his presence. We want to worship you and we want to wait for you. We want to be directed by God. We don't want to just go on our own little adventure. We want this to be God's church, directed by him. We want to hear his words. Where's he taking us? We want to be completely dependent upon God. And that is one of our values here at Trinity, um, that we are a dependent people. But you know, it has to be more than that, doesn't it? It has to be more than these gathered spaces. It has to be a life practicing his presence, a life practicing his presence, listening to him each moment, being open to his voice that he's commanded us to listen to in our lives. We simply take his hand and invite him into every part of our lives. In fact, one of the team's um, daughters this morning, as we were praying for this service, she just had this vision and she she shared um, in the prayer meeting that Jesus just wants to take people's hands this morning. Just wants to take people's hands this morning. So I am coming into land. But I just want to share three things that might simply help us really practically and it's helped me to live and to live in the presence of God. And they start with S to make it really simple. Um, So firstly, start the day. You know, I simply start the day before um, I do anything else, opening my senses to his presence. I know having spoken to so many people um, that the morning is brutal. You know, the morning is when it's like, oh, shame, oh, guilt, oh, oh. You know, it's the moment sometimes where you're so bombarded by voices, aren't you? And in that moment, you get a choice to start your day inviting in the presence of God. You know, he's always with us. We're just not aware of him. So in the morning, you know, I just duvet over my face. And I'm like, Lord, I open myself to your presence. Lord, come into my day. Be with me today. Show me where you are. You know, it's just really simple. It doesn't even need a candle. You just do it in your bed before you even get up. <laughs> um, <laughs> just start the day. Simple practice. Start the day. Open every sense to the presence of God. Second S. We slow down. You know, we're commanded to listen to him, listen to his voice. And, you know, this takes time. It takes time to listen to him. And it takes practice, doesn't it, to try and hear his voice, to understand um, how God is speaking to us. But it often involves space. And we are so distracted, aren't we? We're so distracted and we're so um, fast. I know my life is so fast-paced. And I think that we miss then the presence of God in our day. So easily miss it because we're going so fast. And I felt really simply um, the other day that I just felt God was saying to me that I was walking too fast. (laughs) And for those that walk with me, I do walk quite fast. Um, But when I'm on my own, you know, I might be, you know, going to different places. Just felt like, just slow down. Physically, walk slower. (laughs) 
slow down, Amy, slow down. And when you slow down, it was like I suddenly became aware. I became aware of what I was listening, what I was hearing. I became aware of what the weather was like. I became aware of what was around me visually. I smelt things. You know, the, our senses can become um, in tune with His presence. He wants to show us things in our day, but we need to slow down in order to, um, yeah, make ourselves available to the presence of God in everything we do. Otherwise, we'll miss stuff. And thirdly, speak to Him. We speak to him. And you know, this is prayer, by the way. Speaking to God is prayer. Um, you know, I, um, I, I speak to him all day. You know, it's the, if I, I believe that the presence of God is with me always. I, I believe that Jesus is never going to leave me, never forsake me. I believe that Jesus is right here, right now. And so we must speak to him. Just speak to him about anything you do. Just, it's like being aware of his presence with you. When you're feeding the kids, when you're at work, when you're driving in the car, you know, it's like just live with him, speak to him, invite his presence into every moment and then see what happens. See how your day goes. I'd love to hear the stories. <laughs> but you know, if we have got a warped idea of who God is, if we don't have a clear vision of the transfigured Jesus, that he is the one, that he is the one that has come to save, why would we want him to be in every moment? You know, why would we want him to be in every moment? And so I just really felt like this morning that what's on offer for us in the presence of God is to show us a clear vision of who Jesus is, a fresh vision of who Jesus is.